Heavenly Father, there is an impossible task that is set before me this morning. The task that is set before me in proclaiming your word is that all I can do is proclaim it. It's your spirit's work that gets involved and is activated, that changes our hearts. And God, we are praying for that miracle this morning. God, we are praying that your spirit comes. Through the preaching and teaching of your word. That your spirit would change our hearts. God I pray this morning. That you would do a work that only your spirit can do. And God we trust on that. We lean on that. I lean on that. There is no power in me that can do what only you can do. So God. We want to once again just give this service to you. The one true God. And God, I pray, Lord, that as these, as your word is read and as your word is taught, God, I pray whatever is true in what I say, that God, your spirit would take that, pierce our hearts, pierce our minds. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I am thankful uh, last week for the for the message that Gary gave and and kind of recapping where we are. There's there's a lot here, and there's a temptation to keep going in and back and forth. But uh, we, we would be here forever, uh, and we may be here forever. But um, but but I want I want to try to march through. And as Gary said last week. Um, Romans chapter 6 and 7 really in some ways is a parenthesis and there are some questions that are addressed and a month or so ago we addressed the question in 6.1 and this morning we're going to look at chapter 6 verse 15 and we're going to look at this question that's posed as Paul writes he he's writing an objection or a question that may arise or that did arise we don't know and it said what then shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace. And then he says, may it never be. And a way to paraphrase this question would be something like this. Are we free to violate God's law because his law can't save us? So, so I want you to think about that paraphrase for a minute. Because there's a, there's, there's a massive truth in this. Are we free to violate God's law because God's law can't save us? In other words, if we truly believe that we're saved by grace through faith. Paul has spent five chapters talking to us, to the church in Rome, about justification by faith. If we truly believe this, then can't we just continue on in sin? Or can't we just sin because, Paul, what you have just been telling us is that Good works, righteous living will never save us. And there's a massive truth here that we've got to understand as we move forward. And the massive truth is, is really is, is uncovered with what it means to be under the law or under grace. 
And, and a real simple way to look at this and, and, and a good study of this would be to read through Galatians because that's where this same phrase under the law is mentioned uh, the most times. But being under the law means that we're dependent upon the law for salvation. In other words, that we can do something to merit our own salvation. We can do something to manipulate the mind of God so that he what he sees us as is clean rather than the unclean sinner that we are. And if you've been with us for however long now we've been going uh, through the book of Romans. What you've heard over and over is that the only problem with the law is that we can't keep the law. So the law can never save us. The law is perfect. The law is good. The law is from God. But it can't save us because we do not have the ability to keep the law. And so this is a massive truth. As Paul is rephrasing or bringing out this question, it's a very legitimate question. That's why I paraphrased it the way that I did. Because when we understand this, that the law can't save us, we begin to understand why some people may say, oh, yeah, great. Thanks be to God. We are under grace. Our only hope at righteousness. Do you remember the term if you've been with us for a while? Alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from without us. It doesn't come from within. So the only way that we're made right in the eyes of God. Is that when he looks at us. We proclaim, God, I can't do it, but your son did it for me. And I'm taking his righteousness on me. So the righteousness does not come from within me at all. It is completely alien. It's completely Jesus. There's a wonderful, miraculous truth. What I couldn't do, God did. And so understanding this. Understanding this and really getting this, now we understand why this question would come about where someone might say, okay, I get it, Paul. I understand that this is a great truth. So I can continue in sin because it's not based on what I do anyway. Which brings us to another vital thing. Why would somebody ask this question? This is important. And I think, in fact, really unlocking one of the big things that Paul is doing here in this text comes from us thinking about this a little bit. Why in the world would somebody ask this question? The only reason someone would ask this question is because they want to continue in sin. And why would someone want to continue in sin? Because it's what their heart desires. Now. We. So if so. Instead of Christ being all satisfying. Instead of Christ being our desire. Instead of the glory of God being what our heart beats for. We don't know anybody and we never struggle with. Wanting to be a Christian. But also getting carried away with the desires of the world do we? We never struggle with this. Do you see the heart that's here in this man or woman? Whoever asked the question, whoever Paul is referring to. 
something's going on within this person to where Jesus isn't enough. The relationship with God is not enough. And so the question is asked, okay, well, because there's a desire behind the question. And so, the next couple of weeks, I hope we get underneath this and I hope we get some help from this. And and, and so what I would say, two things here, and, and this is my answer. It, it, I was going to title this sermon two different things and... I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about titles of sermons, to be honest with you. Amy can tell you half the time when I come up with a title, I sit down in her office and I was like, oh, let me see. And I just take a phrase of the text. But in this one, there were, there were two options. One was the heart of the matter of sanctification. Uh, but sometimes it gets so long that it hurts with the format and I don't want to put any more pressure on Amy. And so... I wanted to be a little provocative here because I think the text is provocative here. And so the title of the sermon is The Joy of Servitude. The Joy of Servitude. And I, I think and the reason I call it this, because the reason when I read this text as an American man who is very steeped in American culture and brought up in the American culture, this whole idea of slavery gets really repulsive to me. I don't know when you hear this text read and when you hear like in chapter verse 16 that there's two options. You're either a slave to obedience or you're a slave to sin. That the first reaction in our gut a lot of times is, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm free. Doesn't Paul know I'm an American? Land of the free, home of the brave. Doesn't Paul know this language can be troubling but then if we allow ourselves to get in the text and to read the text and sit under the text i think something wonderful emerges and and here's my main point for this morning and i'm going to read it twice my main point for this morning is this being under grace trusting completely in christ For your standing before God, that's a parenthesis, but being under grace, trusting completely in Christ for your standing before God, is not a license to sin. Being under grace means we are free, we are free to passionately and joyfully pursue righteousness that is the result of obedience. That's wordy. Let me say it again, because I want you to catch this. Being under grace, trusting completely in Christ for your standing before God, is not a license to sin. Being under grace means we are free to passionately and joyfully pursue righteousness that is the result of obedience. And so now let's jump into this text so you can see where in the world, how in the world I am getting this from this text and and why I would think that Paul would have, this is what the... The, the conclusion Paul would have us make. So let's look at verse 16. And something just sticks out. I've already mentioned in verse 16. It says, do you not know? So Paul is answering this question. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? So he's saying that, that, that you have a desire in your heart. There is obedience that comes forth from that. And you are a slave to whichever one you're obeying. And he says there's only two options. You are either, as he says, a slave 
uh, of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. So there's only two options here. And, 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 and what he's saying is that we should not continue to sin. Because being a Christian means that we're free from sin. And we had that sermon a couple months ago on, on verses 1 through 14. But is there not something that goes on in our head if we're following with this logic that would say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Being a slave to obedience sounds an awful lot like being what? Under the law. Right? Am I the only one that this hits this way? But being a slave to obedience sounds an awful lot like being under the law. But Paul, you were just driven into our heads that that's just not the case. You've said it over and over and over again. So what in the world is going on here? And the first thing that you need to see from this verse is that, and this is important for us to grasp because it's going to lead to, it's going to lead to, to something, to, 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 it's going to push us in the direction we need to go. But the, the first thing I want you to see in this text is that Paul is speaking to believers. Paul is speaking to believers. L- let me point just two places here in verses 17 and verse 18. In verse 17, he says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. And in, again, in verse 18, having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. So if he was talking to unbelievers, there's only one option for an unbeliever, and that is that unbelievers are enslaved, are slaves to sin. And I've I've repeated this over and over, but it's important for us to continue to repeat. What I am not saying about an unbeliever is that they are as bad as they could be. You understand that? I just told you about a mission trip where I was around unbelievers most of the time. And they were kind and gracious and compassionate on this ignorant Westerner. The problem, the reason we can say that all unbelievers are slaves to sin is because they don't desire the glory of God. The glory of God is not their motivation. And in a person's life, any any motivation that is not the glory of God is sin. We were created by God to be reflectors of his glory and to live a life that glorifies him with all that we are. And so the very nature of being an unbeliever that we saw in Romans chapter one is that we do not know God as God. We don't give him thanks and therefore we don't live out the precepts of who God is and reflect him to the world. So the first thing that I want you to see here is this. Is that as Paul is, is, is talking here and he's talking about uh, uh, being a slave uh, of righteousness versus being a, uh, uh, being a slave to sin. Is that he's talking to believers. And as he's talking to believers, what we can dig in and see is, is this. So what in the world then, what in the world does this being a slave to obedience mean? And so the key that I want you to get in your head is that when Paul is talking about being a slave to obedience, he is not talking about salvation. He's not talking about salvation. So when we read this text, we're not talking about salvation. Paul has told us and told us and told us that we are justified by faith alone. 
through Christ alone. What he's talking about when he's talking about being a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness, he's talking about a fancy word which we call sanctification. Sanctification. And easily put, sanctification is the process of becoming more holy. Another way to look at this is that the process of becoming more holy means that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And this is all over the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 10, this great chapter, do you remember what it ends with? In, in, well, in verse 10, the chapter doesn't end with this. Let me, let me read it for you. Starting in verse 8. For grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no, no one may boast. Then listen to this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so what we see all throughout the Bible is that God does not save people in order to leave you the way that you are. He saves people to restore you to a right relationship with God. And then he changes us, and we'll talk more about this in a second, He changes us so that we begin to know what our true purpose in this life is, and that is to glorify God by becoming more and more like His Son, Jesus. And so when Paul is talking here, and when he's answering this objection, and this man is saying, okay, so we're saved by grace through faith, so I can just go on sinning, Paul says, may it never be. Do you not know who you are? Do you not know who you are becoming? This is why. This is why Paul can give us this formula of obedience leads to righteousness. Because he's talking about sanctification. So, let me be clear. Because, man, you start to wade in these waters and there's error everywhere. <laughs> so let me be clear. What I am not saying is that we begin our relationship with the Lord through faith and then faith ends and works takes over from there. Okay? Is that clear? I am not saying that. What I am saying is that we begin, our relationship with God is based on one thing. And that's Jesus. And that once we are saved, once we have a relationship with God, then Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit work within us and produce within us works that lead to us becoming more and more like Jesus. And if you want a proof text for that, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. I will go there for you as well. And there are many more. Second uh, Thessalonians is a good text for that. But look at this. Notice the wording here. And, and this, this, this text here is, is a really good one to parallel with the text we're in in Romans. If you want to study this a little more. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, notice this. This is a very famous verse. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You 
work out your salvation. Notice earlier in the in the verse, he says, just as you have always what obeyed, continue to obey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he doesn't leave us there, does he? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do work for his good pleasure. Now, this is a big, huge thing that we don't have time to completely go in this morning, but we will revisit. But for right now, what I just want you to see is this. That our sanctification, our becoming holy, what we were saved for to reflect the glory of God and becoming more and more like him in our Christian walk. That. We have to be obedient in walking in that as God is creating the obedience. Confusing? Yes. We need to keep going. Sorry. <laughs> but I do, I do want you to know, I'm not saying that we're saved by grace and then grace goes out the window and we work our way. So, a Christian's life should be marked by this trajectory of fighting sin, Overcoming sin, becoming more and more like Christ. That's what the trajectory, that's what the bent of our life should look like. And so, you know, what we could do now is just stop the sermon and just talk about willpower. And I could start naming sins and really browbeating a lot of you into submission. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? No. <laughs> I want you to notice, I want you to notice something. And this is just big. This is big for my life. Um, I, I think about this quite a bit. Um, I, I think this is just a key to the scripture. And I think it's one that we don't see and recognize enough. But let, let's look at verse 17. So remember, Paul's talking about Obedience. And obedience resulting in righteousness. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God. That though you were slaves of sin. You became obedient to the form of teaching which you were committed. Is that what the text says? No. The text says this and this is key. Words matter. Especially inspired words. You became obedient from the heart. You became obedient from the heart. To the teaching. Now what in the world does this mean? I, I want you to parallel this a little bit with the person who asked the question in verse 15. Shall we sin so that we're not under the law, but under grace? And remember, I said that this person had to be conflicted in their heart. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. You became obedient from the heart. And this is key. And this is what makes this not legalism. This is a conformity to a way of life that we desire from the heart. This is not conformity to a teaching so that God may like us or so that we may be accepted. This is a conformity to a standard of teaching 
because something's going on in our heart. And to understand this text fully, we have to understand what Paul means by heart, because in the original, in, in this day and age, and, and to the audience in which Paul was writing, he doesn't use the word heart like we use the word heart. When we use the word heart in our language, we are mainly talking about emotions, right? And so, so when we talk about heart, we would say something like, um, uh, I, I feel like it. The word heart, the word heart in, in, in this, this day and age and in this thought had this much deeper concept. It had to do with kind of the whole man, the governing sinner, the thing that, 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 that governs someone's will. It governs their emotions. Uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, uses different language in uh, his uh, religious affections, his book on religious affections. But what he's what he was talking about, if if we were to use the word heart, I think it would be a a good way to to say that is is that thing in us that involuntarily is attracted. Or repulsed by something. So that what happens in a Christian's life, what happens, what should be going on within our soul is that there has been some kind of supernatural change within us. And what happens to that governing center of our will and that governing center of our soul and that governing center of our emotions is that when we are presented with something, when we see the teachings of the word. That our heart inclines us to that. That that it moves us in that direction. And that's why Paul is saying to this person, may it never be. If you have been justified by faith, if you have been ransomed by the God of this universe, your heart has been changed. And this is why I can use the words joyful, joyful, passionate servitude to our God and our King. Brother and sister, a Christian who is undivided, who has seen the greatness of God. Who understands the joy of the Lord. Can't get enough of that. So that the pleasures of this world fade in comparison. Fade in comparison with the joy that's set before us in Christ. You know these texts well. Jesus, for the what set before him endured the cross? For the joy. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, it talks about that the Christians that the writer was speaking to there with with joy in their hearts gladly accepted the confiscation of all that they had. And what about Paul? What about Paul who talks about the joy of the life, the joy of being a bondservant to Christ? 
that led him into these wonderful green pastures, right? Where everybody loved him and accepted him, made him a swell guy. No. The joy that Paul talks about is a joy that can't be explained in worldly terms that where he was beaten half to death. Where he thought he was going to die, where he was shipwrecked. There's an inclination, there's a weird inclination of the heart in a Christian that attracts us to this gospel that attracts us to this relationship with God to where we are promised that life won't be easy. Think about the commands of Jesus. Pick up your cross and follow me. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. That with joy, we take on that mantra and move forward. Joyful servitude from the heart. To, to the teaching. Now, just just a brief word, brief word here on this, and we could spend a lot of time on this. But in, in verse 17, I, you, you have to notice both phrases. You have come become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching which you were committed. And so what we get here is that the the joy and the inclination and the passion and the pursuit is only seen through the teaching to which we were committed. And, and there's a lot of like, this is one of those things in the commentaries or are they talking about they're talking about Paul's teaching, other apostles teaching. And all I want to say is yes. The reason I say yes is because in verse 17, he says, but thanks be to God. So he's talking about God. And I think we can look at it and say that the teaching which they were committed that God committed them to this teaching. And what we know now is looking is that that teaching is what we have here in God's inspired word. That God has spoken to us in his word and we have his teaching. And so what we see, what we see is that a, a true Christian, a true Christian is committed from the heart to the teaching that's in this word. So what do I want to ask? There's so many implications of this, and we'll get into some of that next week. I want to get into some of this next week. I mean, this this changes the way you parent. We'll get into that next week. But what I want to ask this morning is this. What kind of Christian are you this morning? In your thoughts... And in your desires, are you more like the person who asked this question? Maybe you're wise enough to not say it out loud, but maybe by the way that you're living. You're you're straddling the fence. And Paul says that uh, through the inspired word that a true Christian Christian won't straddle the fence forever. What motivates your obedience this morning? Does just the law motivate your obedience this morning? I was talking with Sabaji before church this morning. We were talking about uh, the trip and talking a little bit about Hindu religion. And uh, he was telling me how 
that that a lot of people don't necessarily full heartedly believe in. I don't know if the God was Ganesh. I may be wrong. Is that the elephant head God? It is. Okay. But there's this kind of holdout. Well, what if I'm wrong? And then Ganesh does come and stomp my head in. I mean, uh, uh, with these gods, there were heads and arms and fingers. Are you that kind of Christian? That you're trying to appease God so that he may not come and smash you by your obedience? That's not the kind of... That's not... That's not what God calls us to in obedience. He calls us to this joyful, passionate obedience that has seen Him as greater than anything else. And the natural result of seeing God for who He truly is, is a laying down of my life. Because it not only is what makes the most sense, but it's what brings me the most joy. (laughs) That's the craziness about this. God is interested in your happiness and your joy. He just wants you to get it from the right place. Because that's the only place where true joy and happiness can be found. So. I want to end and ask you, are you, do you feel free to passionately and joyfully pursue righteousness? That's a result of your obedience. And and you may say, how do you get there? And in 45 seconds, I'm going to tell you. Write these down. If you, and I'll say it, I'll take more than 45 seconds. Seek the greater joy. Seek the greater joy. That's kind of the heading. And sometimes, as human beings in this world who are Christians, we need to be reminded that there is a greater joy. We all get caught up in the, this idea that this world has something to offer us and that God may be holding out on us or God doesn't completely understand us or what makes us happy and so we need to go to something else. But So what I would say, the heading here, is seek the greater joy. And the way that we do this, number one, is meditating on God's Word and going to the Scripture with the mind frame and prayerfully seeking to see how great God is. So when we go to the word, have that mind frame about us, have have our mind set on God. I want to know how great and how good you are when I go to this text. Pray and confess. I don't think there's any way better to start our day and to continue going on through our day than constantly confessing that our, we feel our hearts being pulled to things that it doesn't need to be pulled towards. And in that confession that we admit and that we think back through, God, I know that my relationship with you is better than life. That's the right place to confess and to go to. Here's one that I love. And, and you know, we're commanded to do this in the, in the Bible. And that is to rejoice. And to sing. And there's no better way. Well, there are. Well, one of the great ways. To incline our heart. Towards our great God is through singing. And so sing. 
seen. And lastly, well, two more. Deny. We have to get over this whole idea of when something comes into our life and we're trying to evaluate whether or not we should do it. This whole thing of, is it wrong? That's a horrible question. It's horrible. See the difference. See the heart difference. Will doing this, will doing this, lead me to true joy? Or will it just get in the way? See the difference in that question? Don't you want to be a people who just enjoy the Lord? If we want to be that kind of people, we can't stop at the question of, is it wrong? We've got to go deeper. We've got to go deeper than that. And the lastly, and there could be a whole sermon on every one of these, but uh, work it out. In the power that God supplies, trust the grace that saves and trust the grace that's going to support you through your life. You know, it's the same grace that God used to save you that he's going to use to uphold you as you go through life. And so you can't fail. You can't fail. If one of you this morning, if, if one of the families here this morning had an inclination and, and, and felt so led to go to India to be with the Hattons, and that's where you felt like God was leading you, I would tell you this is going to be the most joyful journey that you're going to be on. Knowing full well, knowing full well, you may get run out of town. Knowing full well, they may accuse you of secretly smuggling in beef jerky and kill you. Consider it all joy. Because that's the inclination of the heart. We have to work these things out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God, I just want to publicly repent. Daily. Daily, my eyes drift from you. To things that will never, never fill me. Will never make me whole. But thanks be to you. God, that you have set me free from the bondage of that sin. And that God, that I can rejoice in the God of my salvation. Who not only saved me, but God who from one degree of glory to another. Is conforming me into the image of your son. And that our treasure is you and in you. God, I pray, Lord, this morning that you would do a work. That you, if there's one here who has never put their faith and trust in you. And they've never understood what it means to have a relationship with you. God, that I pray that, Lord, that they would see you as you are as beautiful and commit their lives to you. And God, for the rest of us. God, I pray that you would. Continually root out. Root out of us the heart that desires other things. God, I pray that you would help us to do that for one another. I pray that you would help us to be able to encourage one another. And point one another to you. God, we thank you for who you are. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.